Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. Hey friends, in case you missed it, last week I announced a new workshop series from February to November. You are welcome to join one workshop or all the workshops. You are welcome to join them one at a time as you see fit or as fits in your schedule. I do have them priced at a sliding scale um, for lots of reasons, so you're welcome to take advantage of that. And I also have a group discount for anyone who wants to purchase all 10 and just go for it and commit to meeting with me and whoever shows up to these amazing workshops um, for the entirety of the year. So there's my long, short introduction before this week's podcast. I'll probably leave this in for a couple more podcasts until we get rolling. I'll also put a link um, in the show notes for a little while so that you can access those. But I'm really easy to find and you're really easy to private message. So if you're having any trouble, send me a message and we'll make sure you get what you need. Spread the word. Thank you for being here. And I love you all so much. Okay, podcast time. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. I have Kirsten Deese on the podcast today. Um, Gosh, I can't remember how we first connected, but I think I had my eye on you and I was like, hmm, I think she'd be a good podcast guest. And I maybe even invited you one time. I forget how that landed. And then a little while ago, you were like, hmm, about that podcast. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'm all in. Podcast is rocking. I would love to have you. Kirsten is, um, refers to herself as the healthy feminist, which I totally love. And everyone should go follow her stuff because she posts like great health tips and recipes in particular. What were you, were you just, were you the one just talking about lactation cookies? Was that- I was, my yeah. sister-in-law having twins this month. Right? Oh my God, I love those lactation cookies. You're so good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think like, I guess I say all that just to say, I'm ha- I'm having you here as a guest today to talk about reproductive health and justice, right? But it's not necessarily like your gig right now, but it is a part of your past. And that is the part that intrigued me, just to hear some of your past story and um, how you identify as a feminist and what that means in terms of this conversation around abortion and anything you think can be supportive or helpful to my community and my listeners. So that's my introduction of you. I say welcome and you can add to that in any way you want. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm super excited to be here and to talk to you about reproductive justice. And I worked prior to being a life and health coach, I worked at Planned Parenthood for seven years. And then a few years before that, I was actually 
a volunteer leader on their young professionals board. So oh my goodness. I've been involved with Planned Parenthood for about 10 years and I was up wow. in Seattle. So it was Planned Parenthood of the Great Northwest and we covered a four state territory, wow. Alaska, Idaho, Washington, and Hawaii. So super interesting landscape politically, right? With Idaho in a really conservative area, Alaska in a very libertarian area. And then Hawaii and Washington actually in a pretty progressive place in terms of reproductive access. So I was a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. So I did major gifts fundraising and, um, you know, reproductive justice is just always been something that is so important to me. And I really actually, I have not personally had an abortion. I thought that just might be good for your listeners to know, but my mom was an OBGYN nurse practitioner. So really just grew up with a strong feminist lens in terms of having the ability to access birth control, access sex education, access an abortion if you need one. And I think something that was so interesting to me growing up with a mom who was an OBGYN nurse practitioner is like, I cannot tell you over the years, mostly like high school, college, and then young adulthood, how many of my friends had a time in their life where they needed to talk to my mom about who knows what, right? Just UTIs, like all the things. It's like, and it just really highlighted for me, like all women need more help, support, education, and resources around reproductive health. You know, we have a lot of things going on throughout our lifetime that we have a lot of questions about. We all know School sex education is not really cutting it for most of us. No, it's not. Um, It's not getting the job done. Um, So just kind of growing up with the idea that like women cannot achieve their dreams, achieve their professional dreams, achieve their education dreams, just be the people they want to be without access to good birth control and the full range of reproductive services, including abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So do you remember any of the first conversations like where you talked about reproductive health and abortion with your mom? Like, were you, were you little or were you like a preteen? I mean, my kids all, we talk about it all. So, (laughs) but I'm curious. Such a good question, because I was actually thinking about this in advance of this call, and I remember the conversation, I only remember bits and pieces of it, so I can't tell the whole thing, but I know that we were living in Berkeley, California, which means I was five, probably around five or under, probably five, much younger, I probably couldn't remember, but basically, I can't remember exactly how she phrased it to me or what she said, but it it was clear to me that it was something about having a baby or not having a baby. And I don't think I totally knew what that meant, but I was like, it's very clear to me because I remember saying, well, why would somebody make somebody have a baby if they didn't want to have a baby? Mm, yeah. Like that's where my mind was at as a kid. And she was like, that's a really good question. So I can't even remember the extent yeah, of the conversation, yeah. but it was clear to me that even my five-year-old brain was like, if someone's not ready for a baby, who would be like, it's a good idea to make that person have a baby because it's, you know, as parents, it's an unbelievable amount of work, the investment, the time, the energy. Of course, we love our children and we want to do the best we can for them. But like, 
well, before you have kids, you just have no idea what you're getting into. You know it's going to be a lot of work, and then you have them, and you're like, what? Oh, my goodness. No one told me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have been watching The Handmaid's Tale. I don't remember reading it. I don't think I've read it. And I just. I, I don't think I have either, and I want to. Have you watched it on whatever it's on, Hulu? Yes. My I God. Have. I'm like, I can't stop watching it. And I'm almost through the three seasons, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm like, what is happening? So when you said, why would anyone um, make someone have a baby? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got shudders. Like, oh my gosh, it's killing me. Like, it's kind of torturing me, but I feel like obliged to finish. <laughs> like, I need to watch this. It's good. Don't stop. Yeah, um, no, I love it. I do love it in, which is such a weird, even statement to say, but yeah, it's really, really effed up. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. Um. Okay, so off on a little TV tangent. Um. Do you, like, how did you end up in fundraising for Planned Parenthood? Like what, was, was that yeah. like, where did that come to play? Great question. <laughs> So I got my undergraduate degree in child and family development. Okay. And then I got my master's degree in macro social work. So all that means is instead of being a licensed clinical social worker, I yeah. studied public policy, nonprofit right, management, right, right. community organizing. And um, I was working at an immigrant rights, um, an immigrant and refugee rights organization in Boston, Massachusetts. And mm. when my internship ended, along with my master's degree, they had a position open in the fundraising department. Okay. And I got hired there. And I like fundraising a lot because I think it goes really well with my personality. I love talking to people. I love, you know, talking about the work and doing that. So I did that. And um, that's kind of how I ended up in fundraising. But, you know, before I applied for that job, I applied for a job at the – Planned Parenthood in Boston as like a like a receptionist admin like I want to work at Planned Parenthood so bad but you know that interview experience was extremely powerful for me because Boston is one of the clinics that has had a bombing Mm, yeah yeah so when you go into that clinic that clinic in um, kind of near Back Bay for anyone familiar with Boston like they have like a paint circle by the door like no protesters can really any no one's supposed to be standing in that area when you first go in it's like bulletproof glass you're in like a very small like an elevator space yeah and it's like you know it's just you know as you know your thought my thought was like gosh this is so horrible because of course if you're going to a clinic and you're finding out your options and you're thinking to have an abortion you want it to be like a compassionate, caring, warm experience. And obviously the only reason they're setting it up like this is because of a previous experience. Yeah. Just so heartbreaking to see kind of how they've had to structure the entrance of their building because of what has happened in the past. Wow. Wow. I am in Massachusetts, but um, did not have my abortion in a Planned Parenthood. So I actually don't know the Planned Parenthood experience like personally at all. Um, I should take a trip to the Boston Planned Parenthood, like to that Planned Parenthood someday, just to experience it. Like, 
It's oh, just, yeah. You should call up the fundraising team there and the marketing team. I mean, I'm sure they would love to talk to you. I think that the work you're doing is super powerful, super important. I think there are not, I mean, you would know better if there are many other people doing any kind of work like this, really. No. I've never there aren't there's I do yeah. know some I I've had two abortion coaches on the podcast one much more religious like faith-based which is just not my gig it's just not I mean I'm a very faith-driven person but not like in a um any kind of like organized religion so um yeah there's not there's really not <laughs> which is how I landed here because I had a history in women's health. Like I knew all the women's health, like everything. I felt like I was so involved. And then I found myself facing an abortion and I had no idea where to go. I was like, what happened? <laughs> like, how did I miss this critical, like empty spot in women's health care? Like I was just kind of pro-choice by default. I didn't really Put a lot of thought into it until my own experience and then I was like who do I talk to and everyone said we don't know <laughs> good luck yeah like, what? and um, I remember the first time I kind of knew about you which was at the life coach school right. um when you gave the presentation yes the pictures right there which, I was terrified I was like, Terrifying. Well, I thought it was so brave of you for a variety of reasons, but also because of, you know, the audience. Yes. Yes. It was um for anyone. Not like the yeah. most left-leaning yeah. audience in the planet, which is totally fine. But just, you know, at it's different. Like if you're at a Planned Parenthood fundraising event talking about your abortion, you're like, everyone here is supportive. Yeah. Everyone here is here because they're on the same page as me. Whereas you are going into an audience where they're like, some people are going to be really proud of me and grateful that I'm giving this speech. And some people are not going to feel that way. Yeah. It's funny. Like I, our brains just, our human brains just make assumptions. It's what we do. So I sort of just like got it in my head that about 75% of the audience was going to be horrified <laughs> and like <laughs> maybe like 15% were going to be like, huh, wow. And there would be like a, another small 10% that were like, whoa, that's awesome. But like, I just kind of wrapped my head around the fact that like, that was not the point. <laughs> the point was not to please the audience. It was to to really share the story and and the drive but um yeah it was it was quite a trip I wish I'd met you and maybe we'll meet again someday <laughs> I know right one day when we are having in-person events and activities yeah that will be nice I know yeah. seriously okay so you did this um Planned Parenthood Planned Parenthood fundraising work for or you were in the the world at least for like 10 years and then mm -hmm. And then you transitioned into this coaching world as a healthy feminist. Um, I do want to yeah. talk more about like what you learned in all that world, but just to like lay the timeline here, like what, how, how did this all go down? So after I had my second baby, I went on like a big health kick. Um, yeah. And I just basically had this underlying thought, like I got to kind of figure this out. Like 
how to have more energy. Like, yes, I wanted to lose the baby weight, but I was like, and have more energy and like more stamina and like better gut health. It was like, I just felt like I was kind of like bouncing between all these like trendy things or yo-yoing or caring a lot. And I was like, I kind of got to figure this out. And I always like to say, like, if you don't learn how to manage your health, like your health will manage you, which Mm. I think a lot of us know from experience, if we're ever having health issues, big or small, how challenging those can be to then navigate the rest of your life. You probably saw that a lot at Planned Parenthood. I mean, just in like the general population of Planned Parenthood, not like the abortion wing, but um, in general, you must see a lot of like health stuff come through where your work could be very effective. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And so I started doing health coaching and then I ended up, which I love, and that's still a huge piece of what I do, but then I ended up getting my life coach certification on top of that because, you know, I kind of saw what a lot of us do or see is like, you get your health on track, for a little bit and then you fall Mm. off the wagon and that's always a mindset issue right like that's like you gave up on yourself you quit you decided it was too hard um so I think there's a mindset piece but I also think there's an actual like strategies piece what I always say is like what do most women think when they think about getting their health on track I'm like they think about like eating a pretty low number of calories I'm like, I feel like the number of people always say is like 1,200. And I'm always like, no. that's the caloric <laughs> recommendation for a three-year-old. So unless you're a toddler, like stop eating like one. But that's what society has told us yeah. for 30 years. Yeah. Cutting out all carbs, which if anyone, if you've done that, you know that it's like not really that sustainable long-term. Or this idea that you have to spend like hours at the gym, which yeah. honestly, who has time for that? So we do a lot of different strategies in my program, which are more cutting edge and help people really fuel their bodies. Um, But then we also have to have the mindset piece. You have to have that mindset piece. It's the same with business, right? Like you can have all the strategies, but if you don't have the right mindset to back it up, you're going to be like inconsistent or not follow through or managing your time. I just joined um, Cara Lowenthal's, well, we just started her advanced feminist coaching I know I am so advanced feminist training. No, I don't even know. Mindset (laughs) revolution, or is that actually what? No, it's like an advanced. See, I'm like in it and started it today, and I always it's an advanced training for coaches, um, for feminist coaches. And um, she sent us like so many good books, and uh, one that I am not like. I've never really been on a diet. Like I've never, like, this is just not my world. When we went through um, coach training, I was like, I ignored all the weight stuff. I was like, I don't want to learn this. <laughs> it's just not my gig. But one of the books she sent was The Fuck It Diet by Caroline somebody. Oh, I don't know that one. I'm going to have to look it up. Oh yeah, it's so good. And for some reason, that was the one I decided to start reading. Um, so good. So good. Yes. You definitely have to look it up and I will link it. Um, I'll link it. It's, and it is, it's just that mindset thing. And it talks about all that. The beginning, she talks about, like you said, the 1200 calories and how absolutely ridiculous the things we're trying to do to our bodies and just nonsense. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we know that, um, 
Well, you pro- you know statistics better than me, but one to three and four women are having abortions. And how many of those women are like struggling themselves with the mindset of the weight and body image game? So I'm sure many of them can head over and learn lots from you. <laughs> um, all right, but let's go back to um, let's go back to your Planned Parenthood years. Like, tell me yeah. some of the most interesting things you learned about reproductive health, about reproductive justice, about abortion? Like, what were some of the things you just like walked away with that you, that really stuck with you? Well, I think the first thing is, and I think you, I'm sure have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I remember a really powerful meeting with one of our doctors when I first started volunteering there. And she like opened the panel discussion with like, what is the number one reason a woman has an abortion? And everyone in the audience is kind of like, oh, uh, oh trying to like, what's yeah. the right answer here? And she's like, it's because they want to be a better mom. Mm. Whether that's to the children they already have or their future children like the number one reason a woman chooses to have an abortion is because they want to be a better parent now maybe you know of course there are some people who also don't want to have kids at all but like that means they don't really think that's the right path for them and they probably are thinking i would be a good parent right they're thinking i want to honor the good mom like i want to honor the the gift of mothering and choose not Mm -hmm. to step into it yeah Wow. I actually, that has never been said on the podcast. So episode 70 something, I don't know. I haven't numbered it yet, but that is, I've never heard it said that way. That's amazing. That's amazing. I remember one of the most pivotal moments for me was sitting in the parking lot and just like crying, like with, you know, knowing I had this unplanned pregnancy, knowing what I needed to do, but not like still in that decision phase and I remember googling like do moms have abortions (laughs) like and so many of my clients come to me with that same story because I had so much experience in women's health and I had no idea the statistics of mothers who had abortions I was like blown away (laughs) yeah are we not talking about this wow I love that the number one reason women have abortions is to be a better mom that's just like mic drop yeah and then I think the other big thing I took away for anyone who was kind of really involved in reproductive rights during the time period that I was at 10 years it was just it has become so clear that this is not about women's health and safety. This is not about the children. This is about controlling women. Because if you are interested in reducing the number of abortions, there are countries that we can model. And the two ways they're doing that is they're having really good sex education and really good access to reproductive health, access to condoms, access to birth control. And instead, what we've seen over the past 10, 15 years is bill after bill after bill about making employers not have to 
cover their employees' contraception or making 24-hour wait periods. Or like in Idaho, they passed this bill where our abortion clinics had to be, what was the term exactly? It was like surgery centers, which basically means like the hallways have to be wide enough for like two gurneys to pass each other. And the bottom line is if it's any really complicated abortion, it's going to a hospital. We're not doing anything super, super complicated late term in our clinics, right? This is pretty early on. The vast majority of abortions are like less, have like less complications than a root canal. That's what the statistics are. When people are like, it's not safe. We need this. That is all about making us, when we're going to build a clinic, spend literally millions of dollars more Mm. to build this health center. And just bill after bill after bill about really not wanting women to have access to reproductive health. And I even remember once having a donor meeting with somebody who was like a little more conservative and it was a man and he was saying like, well, what about if like a woman wants to go through with the pregnancy and give the baby up for adoption? And I'm like, that is of course a wonderful option. However, depending on that person's situation, like in terms of their partner, their family, their job, their income, that might be really difficult on them. Like if you're working an hourly job, minimum wage with like no benefits, no maternity leave, like you can't really go through with that I know. very well. I spent three <laughs> months on my couch when I had my third child, three months. I'm going to go through that again and then give them and then hand the baby over for adoption. Um, no, not going to happen. Like who's going to take care of my kids? Like that's insane. It's insane when people make that argument. I can't even. And then I think another argument we hear a lot is like, well, from maybe more conservative or maybe more religious groups is like, what about waiting until marriage? And I'm like, once again, that is a great option. If you want to wait till marriage, you can absolutely do that. But year after year after year, the CDC comes out with data on like what percentage of the population is having sex before marriage. It's over 90% every time. Oh, You're yeah. like, look, you may think people are waiting, but this is, this is what the CDC is saying. And I don't know exactly how they're getting all their data, but I think that we can kind of assume like there's just not as much waiting until marriage as maybe there once was when we were getting married like a lot younger. Right. And what is that anyway? Like who made up that waiting till marriage thing? Like who, where did that come from? Religion, right? Men, the patriarchy. I mean, that's like not, it's just like a made up random thing. It's not like for anyone's health. It's not for anyone's well-being. It's literally just following it's like because men want like a pure unsullied woman insane heaven forbid we would have any sex before marriage oh let's talk about handmaid's (laughs) tale again no (laughs) 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 um what were some of the most like i mean you kind of just you kind of just talked about it but like what were some of the most frustrating things in in that work of fundraising for planned parenthood i think that um, while obviously the, the attacks on Planned Parenthood during the time I was there, both legislatively, but also, um, physically, I don't know yeah. if you guys remember, but Thanksgiving day in Colorado, there was an attack on the Planned Parenthood while I worked there, mm-hmm. um, where people died. So that it, while that is heartbreaking, of course, it's also, it's like 
people who care about abortion really rallied. Yeah. Like there was no like, oh, abortion's safe. Like Roe v. Wade is safe. Like we don't need to worry about this as much. Like this is good. Like there was none of that. People were very fired up. The base was really fired up. Um, I think something I saw that was great is like we younger generations really feeling like they were really in the fight for abortion. Mm. I think older generations, as you can probably manage, imagine a lot of the donors are older. Yeah. <laughs> you know, more disposable income, the older you get, higher net worth. So a lot of them would say like, where are the younger generations? And then, you know, we for sure have seen that really mobilize. I think people really care. Um, and there's no kind of thoughts that, Roe v. Wade is totally safe and this is all fine, like cat in the bag, we can move on to other issues. Yeah. People know that this needs to be really protected. And the truth is, is that there are, um, you know, access really, really varies state to state. Actually, there was this book I was going to mention on this podcast that I read, and I'm totally blanking on the name. I will send it to you, but it's about this abortion provider who is somewhere in the Midwest and they end up flying to all these different states to provide access because mm. there's no abortion providers out there. And just what her life was like in terms of the harassment, oh like having gosh. to wear different wigs when she went to different airports, having to change up her schedule, having to like make sure she rented different cars, like because the attacks were so prolific, but she still wanted okay. to be able to I provide. just have to stop for a minute. I'm just imagining all of that and going back to the mic drop moment of the number one reason people with wombs have abortions, <laughs> right? Totally. The number one reason women have abortions is so they can be better moms. And here is this like absolutely insane lifestyle where to get people that care so that they can be better moms like literally life-threatening and safety-threatening yeah. like it's so it's just so absurd when you put it together it's just total nonsense yes definitely yeah. send me that that book I'm sure that's super fascinating and and heartbreaking but also inspiring I'm just thinking like who what an incredible lifestyle to choose that to choose that because you believe in what you offer so much that you're willing to do that work. That is phenomenal. Yeah. So admirable. Yeah. Wow. You must have met some, okay, let's talk about that. You must have met some really amazing people. Yeah, I met some incredible people during my time at Planned Parenthood. People who work there, our CEO, Chris Charbonneau, I yeah. love yeah. her. She's one of my heroes. She is an incredible woman. I got to spend a lot of time with her one-on-one mm. -on -one because we would go to a lot of different fundraising meetings together, but also the donors were incredible. Oh. And I think that, yeah, you know, yeah. depending on where you work, there would often be stereotypes about your donors. Like, you know, and a lot of donors could be really high maintenance or maybe in it for, a little bit of the glory or the publicity or the naming opportunities or things like that. Yeah. And I was always like, not my donors, mm. not my donors. You know, like I'd go to a luncheon with like so-and-so from Microsoft who, you know, is one of the founders and she's a woman and she's, 
got a lot of money and she shows up like after a yoga you know class with like a sweater with a hole in it and it's like hey yeah and I was just, like the donors at Planned Parenthood really care they are not in it for the glory or the naming opportunities they really are passionate about this issue and That's so they were just amazing people to work with yeah mm, I love that I love that so did you have much interaction with like um the clinic's the the care the clinic care or was it mostly administrative so i was in uh our administrative building had a was three stories and it was a clinic on the first floor and so i definitely knew the staff and would sometimes be able to take donors on like yeah. to meet some, like the clinic manager talk about kind of the work we did there and i think it was always really nice like walking by the clinic in the morning just as like on my way to the elevator it's like a reminder of like why this work is so important like you are seeing it firsthand and you know I I have one memory of leaving the office building one day and it's just always stayed with me really deeply because it's mm. like 5 30 the clinic that day closed at five well that clinic was only open late one evening a week yeah. and it was like this teenage girl with a couple friends in the lobby talking to the receptionist and this teenage girl was like sobbing oh, like what do you mean you're not open like yeah. you guys need to be open you need to be taking appointments and I just was like you know what what's going on for this girl what did she do to get here yeah. like you yeah. know how did like bus or you know I don't even know oh. and you're like whatever she did, she worked really hard to get to this clinic and now we're not open. And it was just like, so heartbreaking, but just reminding yourself like this work is so important. Like when you are in need of reproductive care, it does, it can't wait. Right. Yeah. Even if it's something like a UTI for anyone who's had a UTI, you're not like, we'll just wait a couple yeah. of days. I'll It'll come back after the weekend. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you have something that's about your reproductive system that you need help with, like you need help now and I really it was really nice being able to just kind of connect the work you're doing every day to that clinic to the people coming in to the people getting the health care they need Mm, that's amazing amazing anything else you want to share like that you came to the podcast thinking about or that you feel like someone listening needs to hear I think there's Two things. And number one is that in Alaska, when I was there, our legal counsel was able to argue with the court system in Alaska that, because um, basically it was like if uh, Medicaid was going to cover an abortion, it was like, you know, it had some restrictions, like what is like medically, yeah. medically necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were able to successfully argue that, like, any reason is medically necessary. Whatever the reason, it's necessary. Basically saying, like, this is not just about, like, I have cancer and I got pregnant right, right, right. because I'm going through chemo. This is about if there is any reason mentally or emotionally that the human who's pregnant, who's going to be carrying this baby, feels like they are not in a physical, mental, or emotional state to do that, then it is justifiable and I think that's so important because it kind of comes back to like trusting women 
trusting their bodies, trusting what's best for them and not having any other entity come in and say like, you are deserving of an abortion and you are not. Because at the Mm. end of the day, like, who are we to make that judgment on another person? Like we all have these ideas, every person, like what is a good reason to have an abortion? And it's like, who are we to say what is like a good reason we're not? Right? So I think like that, I was thinking about that something like that might be helpful or inspiring for your listeners to kind of know that. Every Um, reason is a good reason. Your is a good reason. Yeah, your reason (laughs) is a good reason no matter what anyone else thinks about it. And I think like, yeah. At the end of the day, like, there will always be people who disagree with abortion. Like, I mean, if you have the mindset that abortion is murder, like, it's going to be hard to argue somebody out of that. But the work you're doing to shine light onto abortion and say, like, this is normal, this is common, like, this happens, and it's, like, a part of our reproductive lives. Yeah, to have it's a part of this and have these human. choices. It's part of our humanity. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is such important work. And I'm just so excited that you're doing this podcast and that you are working with women who previously maybe never had anyone who kind of specialized in this and you could really kind of see everything they're going through. Well, I get to meet the most amazing women too. And like, sometimes I'll just leave my office and be like, I love my clients. I just want to jump through Zoom and hug them all. Um, I think like, it's so the best. And just like, when you can be that, that depth and that raw and that real and that like, talk about such vulnerable stuff, it opens like so much magic. Like it opens such beautiful space to just connect as humans because that's what we're all doing. I mean, like, I'm sure you use this in your coaching all the time too, but I'm like, you know why you're thinking that? Because you're human. (laughs) You know why you're feeling that? Because you're human. (laughs) It's like, what? I'm not broken. Nothing's wrong with me. I didn't mess it up. I don't have to like beat myself up about it. No. This is, this is what it is to be human. All these thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And abortion yeah. just shines light on a lot of them. A lot of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, where can people find you to, to explore more your healthy feminist lifestyle? Yeah. So on Instagram, it's just Kirsten Deese online. It's Kirsten Deese Coaching. Um, yeah. So if you want to get some more healthy recipes, I definitely do a lot of recipes. I like the recipes. I love them. (laughs) I mean, I know you're not speaking only to moms, but how many of us are just like, really, what am I going to make next? What am I going to make next? (laughs) I know. Right. I always joke when it comes to food, but thought it's like, didn't we, again, didn't we just do this? I know, right? Already? <laughs> it turns out we still yeah. need food tomorrow. <laughs> and the day after that. All right. It was lovely to chat with you. And thank you for sharing. I just think it's, it's so, it's so interesting to me, I think in particular, because I didn't go to a Planned Parenthood. So to hear just your side of it, which is different. The fundraising lens is different than so many other lenses in the clinic. 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure and All right. yeah. we'll connect soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.